Osho, ancient music in the pines, talks on Zen stories given at the Osho Commune International, Pune, India. Discourse number nine. After nine years, Bodhidharma, the first Zen patriarch, who took Zen to China from India in the sixth century, decided that he wished to return home. He gathered his disciples around him to test their apperception. Dofuku said, In my opinion, truth is beyond affirmation or negation, for this is the way it moves. Bodhidharma replied, you have my skin. The nun Soji said, In my view it is like Ananda's insight of the Buddha land, seen once and forever. Bodhidharma answered, You have my flesh. Doiku said, The four elements of light, airiness, fluidity and solidity are empty and the five skandhas are no things. In my opinion, no thing is reality. Bodhidharma commented, You have my bones. Finally, Eke bowed before the Master and remained silent. Bodhidharma said, You have my marrow. I can see clouds a thousand miles away, hear ancient music in the pines. Of what music I have been talking to you? The Hindu mystics have called it Omkar the ultimate sound, or even better, they have called it the Anahata, the soundless sound, the sound that is uncreated, the sound that has always been there, the sound of existence itself. It is surrounding you. It is within you, without you. You are made of it. Just as modern physics says, that everything is made of electricity. Eastern mystics have said that everything is made of sound. On one thing, modern physics and ancient mystics agree, because modern physics says sound is nothing but electricity. And ancient mystics say electricity is nothing but sound. It seems 
if you observe the eternal music from the outside as if it is an object then it appears like electric energy if you feel it introspectively not as an object but as your very being as your subjectivity then it is heard as sound anahata then it is heard as music this music is constantly there you need not do anything else except listen to it listening is all meditation is about how to listen to that which is already there in a small school it happens a small boy sitting in the rear of the classroom appeared to be daydreaming johnny asked the teacher do you have trouble hearing no ma'am he replied i have trouble listening <laughs> i know you can hear there is no trouble about it but you cannot listen listening is totally different from hearing listening means hearing without mind listening means hearing without any interference of your thoughts listening means hearing as if you are totally empty if you have even a small trembling inside of thinking waves of subtle thoughts surrounding you you will not be able to listen you will be able to hear and to hear the music the ancient music the eternal music one needs to be totally quiet as if one is not when you are you can hear when you are not you can listen how not to be is the whole problem of religion how to be in such a deep silence that being becomes almost equivalent to non being that there remains no difference between being and non being that the boundaries between being and non being disappear you are and yet in a certain sense you are not you are not and yet in a certain sense for the first time you are when thought is not disturbing you 
thoughts are like ripples on the lake. Silence is like no ripples on the lake. Just being. Suddenly, you become aware of a music that has always surrounded you. Suddenly it enters from everywhere. You are overwhelmed. You are purchased. This is the first thing to understand. You cannot be able to know truth unless you have become capable of listening to the ancient music of Omkar. This music is the very heartbeat of existence. This music is the very door of existence. You will not be able to enter the temple of God. This music is the bridge. Only on this music, riding on this music, you will enter Him. The kingdom of God is available only to those who have become capable of listening to the eternal music. It has been heard. I have heard it. You can hear it. Nobody except yourself is barring the path. Nobody is hindering. If you are missing, you are missing only on your own account. There is not a wall between you and the music. Even if there is felt a wall, it is only of your own thoughts. And even then, the music goes on penetrating you. You may not listen it, but it goes on massaging your whole being. It goes on nourishing you. It goes on giving you life. It goes on rejuvenating you. Your heart throbs in the same rhythm as the heart of the whole. Whenever your heart falls out of line with the whole, you are in trouble, you are ill. Whenever the heart is in rhythm with the whole, you are healthy. Let this be the definition of health. Whenever between you and the whole, there is no conflict, not even a rumor of conflict, you are healthy. To be whole is to be healthy. To be whole is to be holy. And what is the way to be holy, healthy, whole? your heart should beat in the same rhythm as the heart of the whole. 
you should not fall out of line, out of step. It is a great cosmic dance. It is a great harmony. When you sit still, silent, not doing anything, meditative, prayerful, suddenly you start merging into the whole. You come closer and closer and closer and your steps are no more heard separate from the whole. You become part of this great symphony. Suddenly you are healthy, holy, whole. How to come to this tuning with the whole? Why you are missing it? You are constantly in a discard. You have many contradictions within you. Those contradictions go on like a tug of war within you continuously, day and night, awake and asleep. You are constantly pulled into opposite directions. This Tense state of affairs does not allow you to listen. Even when you are in love, you go on fighting. Even in love, you don't fall in the step with the whole. Even lovers go on fighting with each other. Otherwise, love can become a door to the ancient music. Hence, Jesus saying that God is love. If you love somebody, at least drop all conflict with him or with her, with your child, with your wife, with your brother, friend, with your master, drop. But even there, conflict continues, a subtle way of fight continues. Because you are constantly in conflict within yourself, whatsoever you do is going to be an extension of the same conflict, a reflection of the same disharmony. This is making you incapable of listening. I have heard an anecdote in Eastern Europe half a century ago when marriages were still arranged by marriage brokers young Samuel had been introduced to the young woman of whom the marriage broker had sung a gorgeous hymn of praise. After a short interview Samuel motioned the marriage broker into a corner and said to him in a furious whisper, What is this woman you have brought me? She is ugly, she has a cast in one eye, she is unintelligent and she has bad breath. The marriage broker said, But why are you whispering? She is deaf also.
and God is whispering. God is a whisper. And you are deaf. And God cannot shout. He is incapable of that because he cannot be aggressive. Because he cannot interfere. Because he cannot trespass. Because he respects your freedom. He whispers and you are deaf. Whole existence is a whisper. It is very subtle. Unless you are tuned, unless you have become capable of listening to the whisper, you will not be able to understand, you will not be able to hear the music. And you have become very grass. You cannot even hear if God starts shouting. Jesus told his disciples, go to the house tops and shout from there. Tell people what has happened to you. He had to say to his disciples to shout because people are deaf. A great sensitivity is needed. To be religious is to be tremendously sensitive. And now comes the irony that religions have made you, on the contrary, more insensitive. They have made you almost grass by their constant talk of conflict, struggle, fight, ascetic methods, they have made religion also a battleground. Jains call their Tirthankara Mahavira, Mahavira means the great warrior. As if with truth there is a constant war. As if truth has to be conquered. No. Truth is not to be conquered. You are to be conquered by truth. Truth just to think in terms of conquering it is absurd. You have to surrender to it. If you fight with your methods, yogas, techniques, you will become more and more grass.
you will not be able to feel subtle, delicate experiences that are constantly happening all around you. Have you watched? If you are a musician, your ears become very, very sensitive. If you are a painter, your eyes become tremendously sensitive. Then you see colors others have never seen. Then green is not just green, there are thousand and one shades of green. Then each leaf of a single tree is different, has a different set of green, is unique, is individual. If you are a poet, then each word has its own romance. Then each word has its own subtle music, a poetry around it. There are poetic words and there are non-poetic words. If you are a poet, you become capable of seeing poetry everywhere. Wherever you look, you look with the eyes of a poet. Something else you see which cannot be seen except by you. Whatsoever you do, you become more sensitive about it. Religion needs total sensitivity of all the senses. Of the eyes, of the nose, of the ears, of the taste, of the touch. Because religion is not a part of life, it is the whole. You can have a musical ear and you may not have eyes at all. In fact, blind people have better musical ears because their whole energy starts moving through the ears. Their ears become very, very sensitive because the eyes are not there. And through eyes moves your 80% of energy. Eyes closed, the energy moves through the ears. Blind people become very, very musical. They start listening to subtle sounds of which you have never been aware. A blind person starts recognizing people by the sound of their footsteps. I used to go to a blind man. Whenever I will enter his room, he will immediately recognize me. So I asked him, how do you do it? He said, because of your footsteps. Your footsteps are different from anybody else. Each thing is different. Just as your thumb impressions are different from anybody else in the world. Past, present, future. 
exactly the same your sound of footsteps is different unique nobody has walked that way before and nobody is going to walk that way again but we cannot recognize people by their foot sounds impossible the ear can be very very sensitive then you become a musician if the eyes are very sensitive you become an artist a painter a sculptor but religion is your total being you become sensitive in all the ways possible all the doors of your house have to be opened so the sun can come in and the sunshine can come in so the fresh breeze can come in and keep you constantly alive and young and pure and vital be sensitive if you want to be religious what i am saying is almost the opposite what you have been trained to look for if you go to your religious people the so called saints you will find them almost dull they are not sensitive in fact they are afraid of sensitivity they have been trying to eat food without tasting it they call it aswad they they have made it a great method mahatma gandhi used to teach to his disciples eat but without tasting now if you do that by and by you will lose the delicate sensitiveness of your tongue then you will not be able to taste god if you cannot taste food how can you taste god god is food also and in food god is hidden upanishads say annam brahm food is brahm now if you cannot taste food you can dull your tongue your tongue can become almost dead you can simply go on stuffing yourself without tasting then you are losing one dimension of reaching to god then you will not be able to understand when jesus says i am your food eat me impossible to think you will eat jesus also without tasting him islam became afraid of music because music has 
tremendous power over humanity and it is good that it has wherever religion sees that something has tremendous power over humanity religion becomes competitive jealous food has tremendous power over humanity there are many people who live to eat who don't eat to live religion became afraid their god became jealous of food a competition arose they said kill this sensitivity of of taste otherwise people will choose food rather than choosing god music has tremendous power it can possess it can almost make you ecstatic alcoholic islam became afraid music was debarred music was thought to be irreligious because the ecstasy should come from god not from music as if music comes from somewhere else it happens in one emperor's court a musician came and he was a very rare genius and he said i will play on my veena on my instrument only with one condition that nobody can move his head while i am playing nobody can move his body people should become like stone statues the emperor to whom he said that this condition has to be fulfilled was a madman he said you don't be worried if somebody moves his head his head will be cut immediately the whole town was made alert that if you come to listen to the musician no well it is risky come prepared don't move particularly the head thousands of people wanted to come they have cherished the idea long enough to hear to this musician and now the musician has come but with such a dangerous condition almost absurd who has ever heard of any musician asking such a condition to be fulfilled in fact musicians become happy when people sway and their heads move and their body energy starts a subtle dance they feel happy because their music is possessing people their music is effective people are moved emotion is a movement hence the word emotion it comes from motion when people are moved thrilled stirred a musician feels happy rewarded appreciated but what type of man is this only very few people came only people who were madly in love with music
who said, okay, at the most we can be killed, but this man has to be hurt. Just very few people came. And the king has made arrangements. Soldiers were standing all around with naked swords. And then the musician started playing on his veena for half an hour. Nobody moved. People were like yogis, sitting like stone Buddhas, unmoving as if dead. Then suddenly, the people were budgest. The more musician, the musician entered deeper, 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 few heads started moving and swaying. Then few more. When the musician finished in the middle of the night, many persons were caught. They were to be beheaded, but the musician said, no, no need to kill them. In fact, these are the only people who have the capacity to listen. Don't kill them. The others who have remained like statues, they have to be thrown out. Now I will sing only for these. These are the real listeners. The king asked, I don't understand. The musician said, it is simple. If you cannot be possessed so much so, that even life becomes irrelevant, you are not possessed. If you cannot risk life, then music is secondary and life is primary. A moment comes when you can risk life, then music becomes primary. Then music becomes ultimate. Then you hear the ancient music in the pines, not before it. But religions have killed your sensitivities. Islam killed the ears. Hinduism, Jainism, they have been killing the taste. All the religions have been against the eyes. There are stories of saints who plugged out their eyes because they became afraid. Eyes can lead them into desire, into passion. In India a story is told about Surdas that he was moving from a town. He saw a beautiful woman. He became possessed. Then he felt guilty. Then he went home, plugged his eyes out. But eyes are not the culprit. In fact, to see a beautiful woman, nothing is wrong in it. If you really see a beautiful woman and you have really sensitive eyes, you will see a glimpse of God there. Because all beauty is His. 
all forms are his. Surdas goes on singing about the beauty of Krishna. But if Krishna's beauty is God's, then what about that woman? Whose beauty attracted him and he became hypnotized. God is hypnotic. Plicking out your eyes is a crime against God. If Surdas ever did it, then he is no more a saint to me. He may be a great poet, but not a saint. But I have been deeply moving into his poetry and I feel somehow the story seems to be fabricated. It must be a creation of the priests, of the so-called religious, the mediocre, the stupid, who don't understand life. Otherwise, every sensitivity leads to him. All roads go to him. Where else they can go? If the problem arises, the problem is not of the eyes. It is the problem that you don't have enough eyes. Then a woman looks like a woman. You don't have enough eyes. If it happens to you, my suggestion is, clean your eyes. Become more sensitive. Train your eyes. Let your eyes be more and more purer, unclouded. And the woman will start transforming into divineness and the man will become God and the trees will disappear and there will be green flames of the divinity and the rivers will disappear and there will be nothing but constant flow of his energy. All the religions have been against your senses, your indriyas. I am not against. Because my understanding is Whatsoever you are against, you are against God. Because every door opens towards Him and every path leads to Him. Enhance your senses. Become more alive in your senses. Let your sensitivity be total. And from every dimension, you will have his glimpses. Because of these wrong and foolish teachings, 
you are constantly in conflict within yourself. Because of these foolish teachings you love a woman and you feel guilty also because you love her. Because somehow it looks like a sin. You love a woman and you hate her also because she is the cause of your sin. Of course you will take revenge. How can you forgive the woman who has drawn you into the mud as the religious people say? How can you forgive her? Listen to your sins. Nobody seems to have forgiven the woman. Even after they have become great sins, they go on taking revenge. Still somewhere deep in the unconscious, the woman is lingering. They are still afraid. Then there is a constant fight. A quarrel. Even in love. So what to say of other things? Love is closest to God. Because in love you fall in tune with another being. In love you are no more a solitary instrument. A small symphony is created between two persons. Then the children are born and the symphony has more members to it. It is becoming an orchestra, children, family, friends. You are no more alone. You have become part of something bigger than you. And this has to go on growing. So one day the whole existence is your family. That is the meaning when Jesus says, God, my Father. His actual word is not Father, His actual word is Abba. Closer. Father also looks a little clinical. It smells of institutionalization. Abba, Bapu. So close, so intimate. A bridge has happened. God is not a far away thing. God is Abba. Now I am His son. I am His continuity. If He is my past, I am His future. That is the meaning of a son. The same river flows. A moment comes, if you go on growing in your sensitivity, your family grows. And the whole existence becomes your home. Right now, even your home is not your home. 
even in your home you are not at home i have heard of an anecdote in some of the more remote sections of tennessee there are still a few countries without any telephone the tennessee state forest service recently installed a telephone in one of these countries and lineman tried to get a native to converse with his wife then in a small town some 30 miles distant after much persuasion uncle joe put the receiver to his ear just at that moment there was a terrific thunderclap and the old man was knocked to his knees as he climbed to his feet he turned and said that's her all right that sure is my old woman even in your home you are not at home the very word of wife creates some uneasiness in you the very word of husband creates some uneasiness in you in urdu the word for husband is qasam it also means the enemy the original root from where it comes is arabic in arabic qasam means the enemy and in urdu it means the husband both are true both are the meanings of the same word even people we love we don't love enough in our love also hatred goes on and on and continues we are never one we are never a unity a divided self divided against ourselves this divisiveness creates confusion conflict noise and because of this noise it is difficult to listen to the eternal music if you go on continuously listening to this noise within you by and by you completely forget that something else also exists by the side by the corner this inner noise becomes your whole life the whole day you are listening to your inner noise a feverish state in the night also you are listening to the same noise of course this noise goes on creating layers upon layers around you you become almost insulated you become like a capsule closed from every side you don't live in my world you don't live in your wife's world you don't live in your child's world you live in your own world in a capsule 
your child lives in his world, your wife lives in her world. In the world there are as many worlds as there are persons. Everybody closed into himself and goes on projecting things out of these noises, goes on hearing things which has not been uttered, goes on seeing things which are not there and goes on believing that whatsoever he is seeing is true. Whatsoever you have seen up to now is not true. It cannot be. Because your eyes are not functioning as pure receptivities. They are functioning more as projectors. You go on seeing things that you want to see. You go on believing in things that you want to believe. Humanity lives in a sort of neurosis. I have heard once a man asked a psychiatrist in simple everyday terms without any of that scientific jargon what is the difference between a psychotic and a neurotic? Well, said the psychiatrist, after thinking a moment, you could put it this way, a psychotic thinks two plus two equal five. The neurotic knows perfectly well that two plus two equals four, but it worries the hell out of him. There are two types of people in the world. The psychotic and the neurotic. The psychotic has arrived. He has arrived. He has got the conclusions. He is the dogmatic person. He says only my religion is the true religion. He says only my God is the true God. He is absolutely certain. He is very dangerous. His certainty is not because of his experience. His certainty is because deep down he is very much uncertain in deep conflict, turmoil how to avoid it. He clings to a conclusion. He will not listen to anything going against to his ideology. He may be a communist or a Catholic or a Hindu or a Jaina. It makes no difference. But the psychotic person has already arrived. He has conclusions. He is no more growing. He is no more learning. He is no more listening. He lives out of his conclusions. He of course misses the life because life is a process. There is no conclusion to it.
Life is always in the middle. There is no beginning and no end to it. And life is tremendously vast. All dogmas can have a certain truth about them, but no dogma is the truth, cannot be. Life is so big that no dogma can comprehend it in its totality. So a really intelligent person is hesitant. He is never dogmatic. He is ready to learn, ready to listen. So many people come here. Whenever I see somebody who is trying while listening to me to compare notes with his conclusions, I know he is in deep trouble. And I can see from your faces whether you are comparing notes or listening to me. Sometimes you nod your head. You say, right. <laughs> you are perfectly right. This is also my <laughs> principle. You agree with me, not because you are listening to me. In fact, you are happy because you feel I am agreeing with you. <laughs> Sometimes your head, head says no. You may not be even aware that what you are doing, it may be just unconscious, but the gesture is bringing something from your unconscious. You say, no, I cannot agree to this, this is against my conclusion, this doesn't fit with me. Then you are not listening. You are neurotic. You may not be in much trouble and you may not need a psychiatrist yet, but that doesn't matter much. It is only a question of degrees. Any day you can be in a psychiatric hospital. You are getting ready for it, preparing. And then there is the neurotic person. He is continuously in conflict. Even small things he cannot decide. The psychotic who has decided even ultimate things, and the neurotic who cannot decide even small things. What dress to wear today? Have you watched women standing there before their cupboards? So much puzzled. They bring one sari and put it back, and they bring it back and put it back. What, what dress to wear today? To help you out of such neurosis, I give you one color, orange. <laughs> no need to worry. No alternative is left. Both are in trouble. One who has decided for ultimate things, he has stopped learning. One who cannot decide for trivia, cannot learn because he is in such a hell, in such a confusion. In my village, 
just in front of my house lives a goldsmith. He is sort of the person you can call neurotic. He will lock his door, few steps he will go and will come again and seek the lock, just to see whether he has locked it or not. It became a joke in the whole town. He may be in the market and somebody will say, have you locked your door or not? And now it is impossible. He will stop the thing, whatsoever he is doing, he will say, wait, I will be coming. He will run back. One day he was taking his bath in the river and somebody said, he jumped out, naked, he was running towards his home. I have watched him. He will come again and again and again. It has become almost impossible for him to do anything else. The lock. Just think about his misery. Ordinarily you are both. These are extreme cases. Ordinarily you are both. In certain ways you are psychotic. You have decided the ultimate, that Jesus is the only Son of God, the only begotten Son. This is psychosis. Then what about Buddha? And what about Laose? And what about Jarthustra? Or in certain matters you have decided and in certain matters you are completely in confusion. A part of your being is neurotic and a part of your being is psychotic. And because of this madness you cannot hear the ancient music which is always there. Meditation is to get out of your psychosis and to get out of your neurosis. It is simply to slip out of them. So, you don't have any ultimate conclusion with you. On one hand, on another hand, you are not worried about trivia. You are simply silent. You are simply being yourself, with no decision, with no conclusion, with no center and not worried about small things. If you can be in a state where no thought interferes your being, no thought passes by, suddenly you are overwhelmed. Now, this beautiful anecdote, one of the most beautiful in the history of Zen. And of course it belongs to the first Zen patriarch, Bodhidharma. Bodhidharma is the genius of the absurd. Nobody has ever surpassed him. 
When he reached China, the emperor had come to receive him. Rumors have arrived that a great man is coming and he was a great man, one of the greatest. The emperor had come, but when he saw Bodhidharma, he repented. He started thinking it was better I had not come. This man seems to be almost mad. He was coming with one shoe in his feet and one shoe on his head. Even the emperor started feeling embarrassed to receive such a man. And when they were alone, he asked very politely that, why you did this? Bodhidharma said, this is just the beginning. <laughs> and I have to prepare my disciples. If you cannot accept this much contradiction, you will be incapable to understand me, because I am all contradictions. The Sue is just symbolic, he said. In fact, I wanted to put my feet on my head. <laughs> Bodhidharma took Zen from India to China. He planted the seed of Zen in China. He started a great phenomenon on its way. He is the father. And of course Zen has carried the qualities of Bodhidharma all these centuries. Zen is one of the most absurd religion. And in fact, a religion has to be absurd, because it cannot be logical. It is beyond logic. I was reading one anecdote. When I read it, I remembered Bodhidharma. Listen to it. A great zoologist informed a colleague that he was trying to cross a parrot with a mountain lion. No, exclaimed the other, what do you expect to get? I don't know exactly, the scientist admitted, but I will tell you this, if it starts talking, you had better listen. <laughs> Reading this anecdote, suddenly Bodhidharma surfaced in me. He was the man who was also a lion. He will not speak ordinarily. His silence was also terrible and terrific. He will look into your eyes, absolutely silent, and he will go like a cold shudder through your spine. Or he will speak, then too he was like a thunder. Find out a picture of Bodhidharma and look very ferocious and is still very sweet. A parrot crossed with lime.
very sweet and very ferocious. The whole Zen discipline has carried the same quality with it. Zen masters are very hard on the outside and very sweet on the inside. Once you have earned their love, they are as sweet as honey, but you will have to pass through hardship. Bodhidharma, for nine years while he was in China, sat facing the wall, gazing the wall. He is known in China as the man, the ferocious man, who gazed at the wall for nine years. It is said his legs withered away, sitting and just looking at the wall. And people will come and they will try to persuade him that, look at us, why you are looking at the wall? And he will say, because you are also like wall. When somebody really comes who is not like a wall, I will look. Then one day his successor came and the successor cut his hand and gave it to Bodhidharma and said, look this way, otherwise I am going to cut my head. He turned, immediately about turned. He said, wait, so you have come. I was waiting for nine years for you. After nine years he came back to India. When he was coming back, this incident happened. After nine years, Bodhidharma, the first Zen patriarch, who took Zen to China from India in the sixth century, decided he wished to return home. He gathered his disciples around him to test their apperception, what they have learned from him and what they know about truth. So he asked, what is truth? Tell me in Sarge. The first disciple, Dofuku, said, In my opinion, truth is beyond affirmation or negation, for this is the way it moves. Bodhidharma replied, You have my skin. What the disciple said is true, but not truth. It is not wrong, but it is philosophic. It is not experiential. It is not existential. He says, in my opinion, as if truth depends on your opinion. Truth is independent of all opinions. What you think about truth is irrelevant. In fact, because you think, you will not be able to know what is. That which is 
can be known only when all thinking stops, when all opinions are thrown away, put aside. So I say, true, but not truth. The opinion is not wrong, it is well informed, but it is still an opinion. Dofuku has not experienced it himself. He seems to be of the philosophic bent. He has been speculating, thinking, weaving, spinning theories. Bodhidharma says, you have my skin. If it was just philosophic, Bodhidharma would not have said even this much. But he says, you have my skin. The most outermost part, the very circumference of my being. Why? Because he says, truth is beyond affirmation or negation. Neither it can be said about truth that it is, nor it can be said that it is not. He has some insight. He has groped in the dark through thinking, logic, but he has come to a certain insight. And that insight is beautiful. Nothing can be said about truth. You cannot say God is. You cannot say God is not. Because if you say God is, you will make God also like a thing, as table is, the house is. then the God will become an ordinary commodity, an ordinary thing. And then, as linguistic philosophers say, the table can be destroyed. Whatsoever is can become is not. The house can be demolished. The tree is today, tomorrow it may not be. So what about God? If you use the word is, then what about God? Can God be in a situation where He is not? Because wherever is is used, is not is the possibility also. No, it cannot be said God is. But can we say the opposite, God is not? That too is not possible. Because if he is not, then what is the point of saying God is not? Whom you are denying and for what? If he is not, he is not. What is the point of denial? And people deny so passionately that their very passion says, he must be, God must be. Look at the atheists who said, no, there is no God, they are ready to fight for something which is not. Who fights? Why you are worried? 
I know atheists who have been thinking their whole life and trying to prove God is not. Why? You are wasting your life for something which is not. Since centuries, people have been writing books and arguing and discussing that God is not. But why be concerned? It seems that God is in some way. And you cannot rest at ease unless you prove that He is not. Otherwise He will go on challenging you. He will go on calling you, invoking you. So to put yourself at ease, you have to create a philosophy that He is not. This is the rationalization. And then, God is so vast, call it truth, as Bodhidharma would like. Because Buddhists don't like the word God. And in a way they do right. Because the word is so corrupted. And so many people have used it in such wrong connotations that it has almost become a dirty word. Truth must be both. Because in truth, existence and non-existence must meet. Existence cannot be alone. It needs non-existence by the side, just as the day needs the night. Just as life needs death. Existence needs non-existence. So the ultimate must comprehend both. That is what Dofuku said. But it is still philosophic. On the right track, but it's still philosophic, just on the periphery. Bodhidharma said, you have my skin. It happened, Pire Laplace was a mathematician, an astronomer, who in Napoleon's time wrote a ponderous five-volume work on celestial mechanics. In it, using Newton's law of gravity, he painstakingly worked out the motions of the solar system in finest detail. Napoleon, who fancied himself with only partial justification, an intellectual, lived through the early volumes and said to Laplace, I see no mention of God in your explanation of the motions of the planets. I had no need of that hypothesis, sir, said the scientist politely. Another astronomer, Lagrange, hearing of the remark, is reported to have said, but it is a beautiful hypothesis, just the same. It can be used to explain so many things. To the philosophic mind, 
God remains at the most a beautiful hypothesis, not a truth, but a helpful hypothesis which can be used in explaining many things. But at the most a help to explanation, just a theoretical need, not an existential need. When a philosopher talks about God, the God is cold. The God is not warm enough. You cannot love that God. You cannot worship that God. You cannot pray to that God. You cannot surrender yourself to that God. It is just a hypothesis. How can you surrender? to the theory of H2O or to the theory of relativity. How can you surrender? How can you raise a temple for the theory of relativity? Howsoever beautiful, but it cannot be revered, it cannot be worshipped, you cannot pray to it. It remains a hypothesis, a tool in your hands to explain few things which cannot be explained otherwise. But a hypothesis can be discarded any moment. Whenever you can find a better hypothesis, it can be discarded. Truth is not a hypothesis, it is a lived experience. That's why Bodhidharma said, you have only my skin. Skin goes on changing. Every seven years your whole skin has gone through change. You don't have even a single cell of the same skin. If you live for seventy years, ten times your skin would have changed. Skin is your outermost part. It can be replaced very easily. It is being replaced every moment. It is just the bag in which you are. It is not very, very essential. It is not your being, just the outer wall of your abode. The nun Soji said, the second disciple, in my view, it is like Ananda's inside of the Buddha land, seen once and forever. Bodhidharma answered, you have my flesh, a little better than the first, deeper than the skin is flesh, a little better because this is no more a philosophic standpoint, comes closer to experience, but the experience is borrowed. She says, in my view, it is like Ananda's insight of the Buddha land. Ananda 
is the chief disciple of Buddha, who lived with him for forty years, continuously like a shadow following him. So the nun said, Truth is like Ananda's insight of the Buddha land, of that a land of paradise, land of light. Once seen, it is seen forever. Then you never can forget about it. It is a point of no return. Once known, known forever. Then you cannot fall from it. But the experience is not of her own. She is still comparing. The insight is of Ananda's. Her answer is theological, not philosophical, theological. As a Christian theologian goes on talking about the experience of Jesus, and a Buddhist goes on talking about the experience of Buddha, and a Jaina goes on talking about the experience of Mahavira. Second hand, not first hand. leaning more towards existential, but still theological. More contemplative than the first. The first is more speculative, the second is more contemplative. Better, but yet far away. Then the third disciple, Doiku, said, The four elements of light, airness, airiness, fluidity, and solidity are empty, and the five iskandhas are no things. In my opinion, no thing is reality. Bodhidharma commented, You have my bones. It's still deeper, but not yet home. The statement is true, but it is still a statement. The truth is said better than the other two, but it is still said, and the truth cannot be said. Once you say it, you falsify it. The very saying makes it false. He is right. The four elements of light, airiness, fluidity and solidity. That means the whole existence is empty. There is no substance in it. It is just like a dream. Of the same stuff as the dreams are made of maya, illusory. No thing is reality. Nothingness is reality. Right. But he is trying to say something, 
which cannot be said. Wittgenstein has said that it is better to keep silent, where saying is going to falsify. Keep quiet if it cannot be said, because whatsoever you say will be a betrayal of truth. Bodhidharma said, you have my bones, you have come very, very close, but still missed. Finally, Eka bowed before the Master and remained silent. Bodhidharma said, you have my marrow, you have my very soul. Ika bowed before the Master. That was his statement, bowing down in deep gratefulness, a gesture of thankfulness, and then remaining silent. This is the true statement, and it is not a statement at all. It is only through silence that truth can be said, because it is only through silence that the truth is heard. It is through silence that one comes to hear the ancient music in the pines. And only through silence you can say it without betraying it. Eka did two things bowed down. That is the gesture, the gesture of deep reverence, respect, gratefulness, gratitude. That moment Bodhidharma could see an emptiness bowing down before him. There is nobody in this fourth disciple, Eka, he is just emptiness within. He is what the third was saying, emptiness, nothingness. He has the experience what the second was saying, Ananda's Buddha land. He is what the first was trying to utter philosophically, beyond yes and no. Only silence is beyond negation and affirmation. Only silence is neither atheistic nor theistic. Only silence is religious. Only silence is sacred. To sow that sacredness of silence he is bowing down. And then he kept silent. He really said it without saying it. That is the only way to say it, and there is no other way. Bodhidharma said, you have my marrow, you have my innermost core of being. I can see clouds a thousand miles away, hear ancient music, in the pines, you can also hear it.
it is your birthright. If you miss it, only you and only you will be responsible for it. Listen in the points. Just listen. In this very moment, it is there. You have to be just like Eka, in deep gratefulness, in silence. It is immediately here, and it has been never otherwise. A turning in is needed, paravritti. Somebody asked Buddha, what is the greatest miracle? He said, paravritti, turning in. Turn in, tune in, and you will be able to see clouds a thousand miles away, and you will be able to hear the ancient music in the pines. Enough for today.